Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. In a scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder... Being a man of the cloth doesn't make you immune to punishment. On February 18, 1916, a man was executed in a history-making case. A man who killed as many as five individuals while working as a trusted member of the church. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Hans Schmidt, born sometime in 1881, never had things easy as a young boy. Born into a family with a long history of mental illness, Hans suffered at the brutal hand of his father and was watched, but never helped, by his terrified mother. Living in a small German town, before long, Hans himself started to exhibit troubling behaviors that had many worried. Like the fact that he, at a very young age, preferred spending his afternoons watching animals being processed at a local slaughterhouse instead of hanging out with others his age. A boy who seemed to have a fascination with blood and violence, Hans went as far as to behead two of his parents' geese and allegedly kept their heads in his pockets. Described as having a fascination with drinking blood and exhibiting, quote, bisexual promiscuity, Hans's most favorite game to play all throughout childhood was one where he fancied himself a Catholic priest. Fashioning his own handmade altar, He was absolutely entranced by the Roman Catholic rituals and often played as if he himself had a congregation to look over, which is why it was a no surprise when he entered the seminary, during which time he was arrested for counterfeiting diplomas for failed students and was represented by a lawyer who got the charge dropped for reasons of mental defect. This, however, did not stop his quest and at the age of 25, Hans Schmidt became ordained in Germany and spent the next four years serving in the area. Unfortunately, he didn't seem to get along with most of the hires up within the churches and created quite the pattern of confrontation and then relocation. Many who knew the young priest had some serious doubts about his moral and mental fitness to serve in the church. But despite all the clear issues, Hans was simply moved to a different church rather than asked to step down from his position. During one of his parish assignments in the villages of Burgel and Seelingstadt, Hans Schmidt molested altar boys, had affairs with several women, 
and found company with a number of sex workers. Then came complaints from the parishioners who believed that his way of saying mass, as well as his eccentric sermons, did not align with what they had grown accustomed to. And when it became clear that he had basically run through all the parish assignments available, Hans decided to pack up and immigrate to the United States. In 1908, though this date does change depending on the source, he was transferred to the St. John's Parish in Louisville, Kentucky, where pretty much immediately, he began butting heads with the Catholic leaders in the city and was forced to relocate again to the east side of Midtown Manhattan. Arriving at St. Boniface Church, Hans Schmidt was introduced to another recent addition to the rectory staff, an Austrian housekeeper named Anna Amuller. Before long, the pair found themselves in a secret affair, and in claims that he would later make to an alienist, Hans claimed that he heard the voice of God ordering him to, quote, love Anna. Though she refused initially, while the pair were exploring the relationship that Hans claimed was ordained by God himself, he began a separate relationship with a New York City dentist named Ernest Moret. Now, while carrying on two separate affairs, one with a man and one with a woman, his habit of angering church elders once again led to a relocation, and he was placed at St. Joseph's Church in West Harlem. Though some sources claim the move was the result of finding out about the relationship with Anna, distance did nothing to stop the couple, and on February 26, 1913, they married in a secret ceremony that Hans himself performed. With yet another broken rule under his belt, he promised his new bride that he would soon leave the priesthood for her and start their new life together. Whether or not his promise was true, later, while having a sexual encounter on the high altar at St. Joseph's Church, Hans claimed that God spoke to him yet again, and this time told him to, quote, sacrifice his new bride. So insistent were the voices that Hans eventually told Anna, but all she did was call him crazy. Then came the news that she was pregnant with his child at the end of 1913. Knowing that her pregnancy would surely be the end of his priesthood, on September 2nd, 1913, at the age of 31, the priest grabbed a 12-inch butcher's knife and sliced the throat of his 21-year-old wife in the secret apartment he had been renting out for her. And if you believe some of the sources, he sat and drank her blood afterward and raped her body as she bled to death. Finished, Hans then decapitated Anna, sawed her body in half, wrapped up each section with a newspaper dated August 31st, and placed her lower body in one of her monogrammed pillowcases. He then took everything he had and threw her into the Hudson River. Just three days later, two kids on the New Jersey side of the bridge came across the upper torso of an unknown female. Three miles downriver in Weehawken sat the lower section of the body still inside that personalized pillowcase. Even though the body was found in New Jersey, the case was given to the NYPD because the particular rock used to try and weigh down the victim was actually extremely rare in New Jersey. Determining that the victim was under the age of 30, the autopsy also found that she had prematurely given birth shortly before having her life ripped away. Realizing that their best piece of evidence was the monogrammed pillowcase, the stitching was distinct enough that they were able to trace it back to a specific company, who just so happened to keep pretty good records of their sales. Checking through the receipts, 
they found that George Sachs Furniture Store sold a bedspring, mattress, pillows, and pillowcases to someone named A. Van Dyke on August 26, 1913. This individual had the items delivered to a third-story apartment on Bradhurst Avenue, and when asking the landlord about his tenants, he said that that particular unit was rented by a Mr. Hans Schmidt two weeks prior for what he claimed was a female relative. Leading officers to the apartment, when they opened up the door, they found a complete bloodbath, with walls and floors spattered with bloodstains and a cleaned butcher's knife and handsaw found stored in a trunk. There was no doubt that this is where their victim had been brutally murdered. Found in another trunk were letters addressed to Anna Amuller that not only mentioned Hans Schmidt, but his employment at the St. Joseph's Church. The final nail in the coffin for investigators was when they found handkerchiefs bearing the same A monogram that they found on the pillowcases. There was no doubt now that Anna Amuller was their victim, and they had a pretty good idea of who might be their main suspect, Hans Schmidt. Going to St. Joseph's to speak with the priest, when they asked him about the bloodstained apartment rented in his name, Hans, within minutes, confessed to their affair, their secret marriage, and her murder, claiming, quote, I loved her. Sacrifices should be consummated in blood. He was officially arrested, and before long, the media grabbed a hold of the story and printed all of the salacious details. Creating an absolute circus, Hans Schmidt's trial began on December 7, 1913. Not questioning his guilt, Hans's lawyers attempted to prove that their client was overwhelmed with, quote, bloodlust and that he should be found not guilty by reason of insanity. They clung to this tactic for 23 days and told the courts how he heard voices commanding him to kill and explained his family history of mental illness. With a psychologist taking the stand and testifying that a total of 60 near or distant relatives displayed signs of mental instability, the defense tried their best to convince the jury that he should not be put to death for his crimes. However, combating their claims, the prosecution brought forth their own expert, who claimed that, despite his efforts to convince them otherwise, Hans was sane at the time of the murder and should be charged as such. In the end, the jury could not come to a decision after several days of deliberation, and a mistrial was officially declared. Two weeks later, he was brought to court again, and this time, the prosecution introduced testimony that, in April of 1913, well before Hans allegedly received his command from God to, quote, sacrifice Anna, he convinced another woman, Bertha Seck, to pose as Anna and purchase a $5,000 insurance policy in which he was the sole beneficiary. This new tactic paid off, and after three hours of deliberation, Hans Schmidt was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to death. Hans stated, quote, I'm satisfied with the verdict. I would rather die today than tomorrow. His lawyers attempted to appeal the sentence, but in December of 1914, Hans admitted that he feigned insanity, but pinned Anna's murder on Ernest Murat, the dentist whom he was having an affair with. He claimed that Anna actually died during a botched abortion and that he only allowed authorities to pursue him to try and cover for Ernest. On February 18, 1916, Hans Schmidt entered the execution chamber 
and sat in the electric chair. His last words were, I want to say one word before I go. I beg forgiveness of all I have offended or scandalized, and I forgive all who have offended against me. He remains the first and only priest to ever be executed in the United States. Following his death, the relentless media decided to take a better look at Hans's life, and in doing so, found a trail of previously unsolved cases that seemed to follow each and every church relocation. Crimes that were never connected to him because people, as a whole during this time, believed that church leaders were trustworthy and not capable of such evil. Once investigators got involved, a second apartment belonging to Hans Schmidt was located, and in it was a printing press that put out counterfeit $10 bills, about $240 a piece in today's money. There were also indications that Hans was working on a plan to partner with his dentist in order to commit a string of murders and make off with their insurance policies, similar to what happened to Anna Amuller. In total, it is believed that Hans Schmidt committed as many as four other murders. Those of Helen Green, who disappeared just a month before Anna's murder, a woman Hans claimed was his wife when he first moved to the U.S., who hasn't been seen since, a five-year-old boy who was living in his apartment complex who Hans claimed was his son before his disappearance, who he said was named August Van Dyke, and Alma Kellner, a nine-year-old whose body was found buried in the basement of St. John's Church in Louisville and who was burned and dismembered in a similar way as Anna. The janitor at the time, Joseph Wendling, was convicted and sentenced to life in prison for the murder but was later pardoned and deported back to France in 1935. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to a terrible thing happened on February 19th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. At Giant Eagle, you may have spotted the stacker. With uncanny MyPerks ability, she stacks up the perks to choose either dollars off or up to 20% off her entire grocery bill. The Stacker, stacking up huge savings with MyPerks. Find your MyPersonality and transform your shopping into free gas and groceries. Full details at GiantEagle.com slash MyPerks. Perks cannot be earned or redeemed on select items. Restrictions apply.